Hi everyone, thanks for joining today's webinar, Governments for AI. I hope it will be a fruitful conversation and I hope for this segment to be a dynamic and interactive exploration of our critical theme. What can governments do to keep AI safe? Governments around the world uh, face the challenge of balancing innovation with regulation, protecting citizens from potential risks while fostering an environment where AI can thrive and contribute positively to society. From setting standards to frameworks to ensuring transparency and accountability, these responsibilities are vast and multifaceted. So that's why I think the topic at hand is both timely and crucial. As AI technologies advance at a rapid pace, uh, the role of governments is in ensuring the safety, fairness and ethical deployment of these technologies become increasingly complex and significant. Now, I hope to delve in these uh, challenges, discussing potential strategies, policies, and collaborative efforts that can be employed to safeguard the public while nurturing the growth uh, of AI. We will explore the questions around regulation, ethical considerations, and international cooperation, uh, and of course, the potential impact of AI governance on uh, innovation and societal well-being. Of course, I encourage every, uh, everyone to engage with each other. Uh, if you have questions and, and insights to share, uh, you can do so freely. But to start things off, I want to ask uh, Jeffrey, what, what do you think that, what can governments do to keep AI safe? Uh, quite frequently, the press are overblown in that uh, uh, certainly AI is not as dangerous as nuclear weapons, for instance. Uh, some people have made that claim. Um, but yet there are some threats. Um, I find the stories about youth police departments arresting people on the base of facial recognition to be uh, a problem. Now, that's partly because American police departments are just have this problem of making arrests when they shouldn't be making arrests. So if countries have a good police department, they're not going to do that. Um, I also find these problems of uh, scams, of voices, you know, people, AI asking, saying, this is, this is your granddaughter, send me some money, you know, these things. So these things should be better handled by police departments. The, uh, the use of Joe Biden's voice to tell people not to vote, these things should be handled better. So these, there, there are these kinds of threats. I, I don't know, know if we need some special AI regulatory group to handle them, but certainly there are these problems and we have to think about them because I'm sure that there's gonna be, uh, not just in the US, but in other countries, there's going to be a lot of disinformation and not just, you know, and a lot of times you say disinformation and they, people wanna say, no, 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 there's no problem with, uh, they, they think about um, COVID and they think about vaccines and they wanna argue about whether vaccines are useful or not. And I'm not talking about things that are actually controversial. I'm talking about just the actual kind of uh, disinformation that everyone would agree disinformation. So Joe Biden's voice was was clearly disinformation. So those kinds of things are the problem. So we have to figure out a way uh, to handle them. I see. And then I want to ask uh, Patrick, how do you think uh, governments can strike a balance between promoting AI innovation and ensuring the safety of AI systems at the same time? Well, uh, let me just get back to the previous example about police officers arresting someone because an AI 
identified someone to be, you know, on the run. And yeah, police officers need extra training. You know, the AI can give a recommendation, but the AI may make mistakes. And the few cases I heard about in the US, it was actually quite obvious that 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 person was not the one they were actually looking for because the person was much older, much younger, much shorter, much taller, yet that person got arrested and could only leave after a couple of days. And, And I think, that's not the AI's fault. It made a recommendation, but the police officers ultimately need to answer to the people then and, uh, and have to double check that. And maybe they need some extra training that um, they don't fully trust the AI or take this ultimately for granted, but they, ask, they, they learn to ask the right questions then. I see. And uh, Jeffrey, what, what do you think about that? Well, I agree with that. Uh, they need more training. They shouldn't be using it. And uh, it, it it's probably would be useful if the FBI or some similar type of organization would study how uh, police departments can use AI and then make recommendations how to be used. And then as part of that, I'm sure that there will be other recommendations, but certainly training people in using AI and understanding the uh, uh, a little about probability, right? There's a little about probability or they have to understand. Uh, but, it, and, and so, yeah, I agree that's, that's, that's one thing that, we, that needs to be done, but there's kind of a broader issue of who's gonna, who's gonna implement this. And local police, America's very, police departments are very local, uh, and that's a big problem in America. And you want to have uh, these kinds of issues handled by some type of national group that then makes recommendations for all the local police departments will will use it. Okay, I see. And one of our audience members, Jesse, asked uh, how will AI be used in court systems? I, this I want to move to to Tony. Uh, Tony, what's uh, as a trade lawyer, how would you suggest that AI could it would be used in in court systems? Hmm. Uh, I recently attended a conference um, that dealt with uh, dispute settlement uh, re- and arbitration uh, and the use of AI um, in, in these uh, instances. Um, and of course, the controversy here is that uh, how much of the work of judges uh, may be um, delegated uh, to AI. And uh, so far, what, I, what I've seen is that AI can be a tool, uh, especially for legal research, um, but the decision point, I think, still is uh, is essentially a human uh, human activity, and I think we'll be seeing uh, more and more uh, automated courts, uh, but with a human uh, making the ultimate decisions for 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 cases. Okay, I see. Uh, and and Richard, uh, how do you see that uh, evolving? Well, yeah, absolutely, because um, from an uh, IP protection point of view, the uh, law aspect of AI decision making, and I'm also a supporter of several startups in the same realm, I do agree with with the previous speaker, with Anthony, on having the human pull the trigger on the decision. However, AI can help a more balanced review of both cases. 
what sometimes happens with people is they get a semantic or a, or a hunch or a lower gut feeling on how to balance the scale of the evidence that is presented. Similar as in a clinical case. So I'm a very much an advocate of uh, the human in the loop system when it comes to uh, the, the, the things on, on, on pulling the trigger on, on the decision. However, uh, and I can share that from recent experience um, in one of the cases that I've been in, involved with on a professional uh, basis when it comes to AI, is it, it helps to create a balanced overview. And people tend to uh, use a confirmation bias. So when they get in, and I think AI can help overcome the confirmation bias. Uh, very simple, um, it has always been done this way, or it is usually the case that. And AI is very agnostic in that sense. It's fair. Ivana, you, you talked briefly about the AI Act, and, and I wanted to ask you what specific aspects do you think, or for you, do you consider the most impactful for regulating AI technologies? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, first of all, I think there are some elements which are very recurrent, and it's not just about the European AI Act, right? So over the last few months, things like um, transparency, human oversight, privacy, um, robustness, explainability, a lot of this, we see this across countries. So to an extent, um, yes, um, we, of course, there are different ways of implementing, developing and, and setting rules in the US, in China, in, in Brazil. Nevertheless, these principles, they seem to be very much present all around the world. And this is important. It's important because obviously, um, AI doesn't stop borders, our trade doesn't stop borders. Therefore, it's important for organizations to know that these principles, they seem to be embedded all around the world as the key principles that we expect artificial intelligence to comply with. Now, I want to say, nobody's regulating AI. People are regulating the behavior of people and businesses around artificial intelligence. This is a very important thing to, to, to stress and understand. We're not regulating AI as such, we are be, because that would be, in my view, totally impossible. It's like saying I'm regulating mathematics, aren't I? The issue here is, is regulating the behavior of people. Because one thing that is very clear in the European AI Act is, is a race-based approach. It can be arguable, the approach could be different. It doesn't matter. It's the first piece of legislation that we have seen in the Western world of this. What is important to me is the recognition that alongside fantastic opportunities, and we all agree with that, brilliant, there are risks that are inherent with the situation. Take facial recognition. Facial recognition is fantastic. If I am blind, I can have a tool that helps me walk around, recognizes what's in front of me. That's great. But at the same time, the other side of facial recognition is what was mentioned above, before. Its pervasive use may change the way that we inhabit our public spaces. Take other issues. For example, algorithmic decision-making. Now, you have said correctly, it can be less biased. I agree. But in reality, in reality, what is happening is not that. What is happening is that because these systems are not neutral, but they are created by human beings, 
they end up replicating the same stereotypes that human beings have. Fine. However, however, if they're replicating it, what happens is not they're just replicating it. Because they're very difficult to um they're very difficult to, to um, uh, um, a lot of people don't know that they're interacting with a machine because a lot of the decisions are made by machines. Not only are they perpetuated, not only they are embedded into the softwareized into the systems, but they also become much harder to challenge. And the same happens with predictive technologies, where you take the data about yesterday and you put this data into machines making predictions and decisions around the future in a way which is unaccountable. So what the European AI Act is saying is machines used in technologies that have the purpose of um, choices about education, determining, for example, if somebody's got access to something or not, these decisions, they need to have further controls about them. This is not because the human is based and the machine shouldn't be. This is because the machine is biased because the human being is. But without controls, we are automating the existing inequality in society. So instead of changing it, we automate it. And this is not correct because it's not our society's goal. Society should go in a better way. So if we automate the existing inequalities into machines, that is a problem. So the reason why I'm saying this is because the European Union, to me, the positive side of it is that it recognizes that some technologies need some areas, not some technology, not some AI, but some purposes, some uses, require further controls around them. Some areas. So if it's in education, where somebody can be locked out of opportunities, if it's in social benefits and services, where somebody can be locked out, where the risk of, there is a risk of automating poverty and inequality, hey, we've got to have more control, because what we cannot have, we cannot have what happened in the Netherlands, where in 2019, a Dutch, the Dutch tax authorities revealed that they had used an algorithm to create a risk profile in an effort to spot childcare benefits fraud. And these systems was used everywhere. But what happened is that the authorities penalized families over a mass suspicion of fraud based on the system risk indicators. And these risk indicators had nationality, double nationality, as something that would increase the risk. Now, what happened is that double nationality is a proxy for immigration. So a lot of people who were immigrants, they were taking away their benefits. Some committing suicide and more than a thousand children were taken into foster care. The arms of AI are real. So why am I saying this? Because I believe in the huge potential of these technologies. If I talk about risks, it's not because I don't like these technologies is because I like them so much that I want it to work for everybody. So the European AI Act has this advantage. It recognizes that some areas may require extra controls. The same is happening everywhere, everywhere around the world. In the, the FTC is making the same arguments in the US. 
Privacy regulators are all around the world are saying, exa are saying exactly the same things. Reports today in the newspapers are talking about some automation, how it's impacting in India on this very topic. We'll see how it will go, if the European AI Act will be like the general data protection regulation, that will be sort of the strongest Brussels effect ever. So, But what is important in my view is that we continue to think about how we can safeguard people, how we can give people the knowledge that they can defend themselves, they can understand the systems, that's why education is important. And um, But I do think that um, there is a growing awareness around this. And the first time in Davos last week where I saw a real alignment between businesses, policymakers, and civic society on the need to put some safeguards, not to stop progress, not to stop AI, not at all, no, nobody's saying, but really to ensure that the, the benefits are not hindered by um, uh, some incidents like the ones we have seen. Because when incidents happen, that is the trust that come, comes away, right? And then when we have less trust, that is problematic for everybody, including for productivity, for take up, and for how people can live with these technologies. So Patrick, do you do you do you want to add on that? I mean, we talked with you on the AI Act uh, before in our podcast episode, so I, I would like to ask that to you as well. Uh, first, if you have any comment on what Ivana said, uh, uh, if not, what you would think uh, or consider the the most important part of the AI Act. Yeah, thank you very much, Ivana, for your contribution. I respectfully disagree with most of that. I think there's absolutely no Brussels effect. The GDPR has been a complete disaster that is killing people in Europe. Uh, we're unable to advance healthcare and a lot of other services because of GDPR. And yes, some parts of the world are inspired by GDPR, but not by hundreds of pages of rules that no one understands, but maybe by two or three pages that actually work. Um, but the whole thing doesn't work. And we'll see pretty much the same with the AI Act, for which I say, well, there's probably a good intention, but in that form, it will just not work. There's a lot of terms that are not properly defined, a lot of unclear stuff. No one knows what it means. Maybe we could, you know, narrow it down to five pages with just a key essence and actually make it understandable and also applicable. And um, yeah, there are high risk applications, sure, where people. Uh, can uh, get hurt or there's some, something that dangers their health and safety. But I don't think we actually need AI-specific laws because the AI is eventually part of a system. If you put AI in a car or a plane or a power plant, yes, that's high risk. And that's why there's already plenty of vertical regulation. And I don't think we need all this extra horizontal regulation on top. And there are certain high-risk things like, yeah, education. Um, why does the AI think that education is high risk? Well, because, you know, someone may not be getting what he or she could be getting. Uh, but it's not just admission to programs, it's even uh, customization of content. And uh, if you, I doubt that, this, that, that that is really high risk. If you declare it high risk, there are certain consequences. For example, you, you have a lot of requirements, not just on documentation, risk management, also on the data quality. For example, 
they required you to have you know very accurate data and all of that that's good but the requirements are too high as it's written and eventually this will stifle innovation it will lead to that the innovation may not happen or it may happen outside the european union so we become even more dependent and i don't think that that's great and for example in germany if there is a government program say at university and you don't get in you can sue no matter whether uh, a human has made that choice or a computer has made that choice and i think uh, that's a great thing so for example in germany we wouldn't need extra regulation for ai in education because if you don't get in you can sue anyway and maybe other countries could adopt that approach and uh, yes an ai learns biases because humans are biased uh, but with an ai we have the opportunity maybe to correct for some of these biases and eventually the ai will then decide reliably and deterministically if we use the right models while a human maybe just may have a bad day or maybe hungry and then actually decide against someone there were studies like this in australia among judges a few years ago and it was known or noticed that judges uh punish harder before lunch you know because they are hungry and after lunch uh they are maybe happy and they punish less an AI doesn't behave like that. And I think that's a great thing. Um, and yeah, maybe in some places we may need extra regulation, but I would address it vertically and not actually focus on AI because AI is just a tool to implement something. And maybe someone else will come up with a new tool and then it's not regulated. And I think the AI act is pretty much unique. If I go to China, for example, there are certain movements to regulate AI but that largely addresses politics and generative models, not too much, you know, all these other things. Because I think there are other things the government wants to focus on first, increasing prosperity of the average citizen, addressing uh, the demographic change, lack of talent. And I think once those issues have been addressed, maybe there is time to look at new ones. But we in, in Europe or in the European Union, we, looked, we always tend to look at risks and things that could go wrong first and not really the opportunities or the real problems we are facing in Europe, like demographic change and lack of talent. Yeah, Ivana, uh, do you have anything to add on that? I don't disagree with what you say. I mean, I don't think we are far away. I mean, what I'm, I think is important to recognize that the, I mean, the first reason why the European AI Act has been, is being created is an economic reason, Patrick. I mean, it's the idea that, you know, the European Union has 27 member states and that means to harmonize a market. It, it means there is also another element and I'm not discussing whether it's good or bad. I am saying that exactly for what you said, that Europe doesn't have Alibaba, Europe doesn't have a Google. So because of the lack of this big technology, obviously Europeans, uh, European Commission is, is leveraging one power that it has, which is to be a super regulator. I mean, uh, whether we like this or not, you know, this is the reason. Now we can discuss how we got to this point. Why, why doesn't have a Google or doesn't have an Alibaba? Certainly, you know, venture capital, we can look into that. We can look into different models on the role of education and why Google Google was born into a university department in the US, not out of private investment. So what I'm saying is, is, is we we can't be, you know, there are complexities around all this. And the reason why the European AI Act is there is for a specific reason. Um, what the European AI Act, and I agree, there is a lot of vague terminology in there. 
Obviously, there is. I mean, I read 258 pages last night. It's, it's the, the leaked version. There's a lot of vague terminology. But one thing that states is very clear, which is compliance with existing laws. So a conformity assessment, which is basically a framework of assessment, is basically saying, do I comply with the GDPR? Do I comply with copyright law? So that is very important and goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, which is that AI to an extent is already regulated because regulation and laws already apply to, to, to it. So I think it's, uh, we have to view things in, in this way. But one thing that is certain, one thing that is certain, however, is that with um, there is no, um, there is everyone now recognizes that Alongside the opportunities, there are harms, starting with deep fakes, starting with the simplicity with which deep fakes, deep videos, deep images that can be created, and, and especially during economic, um, during, during elections. Um, the impact that these can have in uh, the further polarizing the public debate, which consequences on democratic viability, that might be quite substantial. So I think, you know, understanding what potential risks are, it's okay. It's not a matter of um, society. This is why um, the United Nations is working on the digital compact and they set up a working group to focus on governance of AI. Um, and obviously the first aim of a country is and ought to be to improve well-being and welfare and how people stay and live and study. And that should be the first thing for everybody. Um, but of course, you know, to do that, it's important to mitigate the risks. And I think this is what countries, regard for even beyond the European Union, are doing all around the world. Obviously, deep fakes are a problem in times of elections, but, so, but it's not just deep fakes. Also, if newspapers or TV channels on purpose spread lies, and we've seen many examples of that, maybe we should regulate the whole topic as such, you know, and, and not just uh, for AI, because AI is just part of this, and there are other actors as well. And for example, again, in Germany, if you spread a deep fake to someone's disadvantage, so you spread something incorrect to someone's disadvantage, well, you're affected by the penalty code and you should be punished. And I don't think that you would then need an extra AI law on top. Correctly, there's also like uh, in parts of the world, defamation suits you can start if someone's spreading lights about you. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by the UN, a tech community focused on artificial intelligence in healthcare, machine learning, and related disciplines. I am Amir Mustafa, and see you next time.